Psalm 9. Uh, is that right that um, Pastor Steve covered Psalm 8? Yes. Yeah. Two people said yes. I guess that's all that was there that night. If you need a Bible, Jason's got one for you. Just raise your hand. I'll bring it to you. Thanks, Jason. Psalm 9. We're not going to stand for the reading of the word, Lord. It's okay, Dan, because um, we'd have to read 9, 10, 11, and 12, and I think everybody would faint. So let me, uh, let me read through the entirety of Psalm 9, and we'll go through it. But it begins with this title, and even the titles, as, I, as far as I'm concerned, are, are ordained of the Lord. Um, but it says, A prayer of thanksgiving for the Lord's righteous judgments. And it's the tune of death, to the, uh, death of the Son, which I'm not sure of the tune itself, but it's a psalm of David. So you're going to see in this psalm that, that David begins to praise the Lord. The Lord is the object of his praise, and he's praising him with his whole heart, as we're going to see in verse 1. And it's going to go through this, this beautiful picture of God's faithfulness uh, over the wicked. And, and watch this now. He says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of, oh, time out. Lord, would you bless the study of your word? We did pray earlier, but God, I don't want to undertake this without your blessing. And so, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works, and I will be glad and rejoice in you, and I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause, and you sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations, you have destroyed the wicked, you have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells, who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. And when he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of your praise in the gates of the, daughters of, uh, of, in the, gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. And then it says, The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. You can, you can look on the heap of, of history. Uh, you can see in the heap of history fallen nations. God judges nations. He still judges nations. The Noahic covenant was established so that governments would be there for the protection of man. And any nation that doesn't operate in that context, God judges. And you can go through the, the roles of history and see as, as despots and, and, and dictators are all piled up in, in the annals of history on the side of judgment. They, they've killed billions <clears throat> under the, the auspices of socialism, fascism, communism. They've killed billions. And people have declared, well, Christian nations are responsible for the greatest atrocities in the world. Really? Really? I'm sorry, like What? What, what, what do you speak of? Oh, well, the Inquisition. Oh, oh, the Inquisition. How many died in the Inquisition there? 100,000? Oh, no, millions. No, 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 no. A hundred and maybe 60,000 people. 160,000 too many, and that's because you gave the church the sword, and it's not supposed to have it, and it was 160,000 too many. But yeah, okay. Oh, the Salem witch trials. Oh, oh, my bad. Okay, how many there? I'm sorry? 13? Depends on the numbers. Let's just say less than 20. 
Stop by a Christian minister, might I add. And so that's our atrocities? Okay, how many have died in the absence of God? Stalin, Hitler, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong? Billions. Billions. Just this century. Heaps of humanity. I mean, we can even look at North Korea now. And, and they don't get away with squat. God's there. But I'll tell you what. Certain, I've got, I'm going to keep going over this. Because it's an attempt to suppress you. Certain inalienable rights endowed by your creator. Life, liberty, liberty is doing what's right. If you don't like the state of the government, you do something about it. And guess what? The only way you're going to be set free is to realize that you're already dead. And when I say already dead, you're dead to yourself and alive to Christ. And if Christ demands that you stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set you free, then do it. And if that means being judged and losing your freedoms, do it anyways. But if you operate in a context of fear, you'll be oppressed. And you'll just fall on the annals of history of those that never made any accomplishments to persevere and preserve the case of man. 86 cents of every dollar in evangelism comes from the United States of America. When you shut this place down, where are refugees going to go now? Where will people go for asylum? There's no place left. When we remove this, this, this experiment of 237 years on the face of the earth of a representative form of government and it's wiped out, where are people going to go? This, this, is, this is something where David right now is declaring and watching, and this would be something that we would declare after, after World War II was over. This would be a psalm written after World War II where, where we were attacked by, by two fascist nations, one in particular, but we went to war, and they sunk some of our boats in the Atlantic, so we were attacked by two fascist nations. They sunk our Pacific fleet. We raised it from the bottom, took on a two-fronted war, but both enemies to their knees, floated that same navy back into Tokyo Harbor and turned both of those nations into representative forms of government. When we had the 22nd largest army on the face of the earth behind Romania, not to say that Romania is bad, but I'm saying that we were behind Romania. How do you do that? God. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. You just listen to the prayers of President Roosevelt. And they've got it recorded. As he's praying with the nation. And you're telling me separation of church and state? Shut it. Just, just shut it. It's ridiculous. And, and this, this is where you would be singing this psalm when you watch as your troops are coming home and they're marching under the, the ark uh, in, in, in Paris. The same one that Hitler declared that the Third Reich would go on for thousands of years. And it lasted maybe a handful. That's when you praise God like that. And the nation gave thanks to God. The Civil War when 650,000 men die on a field of battle. To remove the warp and the woof of the most heinous atrocity this nation's ever known of slavery. And by the way, by the way, the, the, the whole slavery issue and where we are today and how it's all been turned around, we, we've, we've created a slave state in the government. You talk about black-on-black -black violence, 72% of children born in the inner city are born in single-parent homes. And the black-on-black -black violence far exceeds black-on-white violence. And why is that? Because the government uses them and abuses them. And it's, it's over. 
Nobody needs, you know, endless welfare. They, 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 they need to have an identity in the way God created them. They're, they're not any, they're, there's, not, there's not a division between what's right. I would say we're guilty of creating this welfare state. Because we've remained silent. Instead of engaging in, in racial reconciliation, getting to know one another, we just throw money at the issue and just let somebody else deal with it. Well, that just doesn't work. You've got to get neck deep in it. And, and here, you know, we look at this nation and, and, and there's, we're at a divisive point. But, but I think about the Civil War when over 70% of the nation said that slavery needed to exist and uh, uh, 19 people formulated a party at the destruction of the Whig Party when the, the Democrats and the Whigs started to come alike and they just, this Whig Party just started to disintegrate and finally 19 people said, I'm done with the Whig Party. We need to stop slavery and they started the Republican Party in Wisconsin. 19 people. And they ended up winning the presidency that year. Changed the face of politics in the United States of America because they said it ends with us. They elected the most unpopular president in the history of the United States. Almost didn't even make, he, he was a, a, a freshman congressman from, from the, the state of Illinois. And when he came into Washington, he had, he had over eight death threats. He had to come into Washington the first time dressed as a woman. And they mocked him on the front pages of the newspaper. He was the first man to entertain in the White House a black man, not as a slave and not as a servant, but as a human being, Frederick Douglass. He said to Frederick Douglass at the end of his first term when he knew he was going to lose to McClellan, you go south of the Mason-Dixon line tell every black person to get north because he's going to seal the borders. And Frederick Douglass said, that man loved me as a human being. What did he get for it? A bullet to the back of his head. But that was liberty. He's the only American that is in Trafalgar Square in London, England because he was the most amazing man to stand in the face of tyranny to declare freedom that God directs. And that's what God's looking for in his people. And I tell you, we define ourselves by what we don't do nowadays instead of what we do. Christians need to be activists. We need to engage the culture and fight with everything we are. And, and as, and as I, I look at this and I think about the Civil War, this is, this is a psalm that they would sing, Psalm 9. This is, this is a psalm that, that the freed blacks would sing. You want to talk about the civil rights here? How about that? Did you know that Martin Luther King Jr., did you know that he was a Republican? A registered Republican? Anybody? Yeah, he was a registered Republican. And, and, and you look at it today, and the civil rights industry, it's become an industry, not a movement. I look at Martin Luther King Jr., that man, he, he was maligned. We're going to see this in Psalm 11. I can't think of anyone who better depicts it. But when he never had a chance to sing Psalm 9 because he was dead by a bullet. But when the civil rights came through, this, this was a result of that man's hard work. Psalm 9 would have been his to sing. I can see him singing Psalm 11 that we'll get to shortly. But this is a psalm of praise, watching God judge the, the wicked. And there's been seasons in our life. Right now, we're oppressed by the wicked. And God's waiting for his people to rise. And so, where did I leave off? Well, we'll pick up at verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell. I like that. And all the nations that forget God, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord. 
that the nations may know themselves to be but men. To be but men. We think ourselves so superior when we have ruling over a government. Do you realize what that looks like to God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand? It is a joke. You think yourself so powerful because you own a gun and you can oppress another human being. Well, guess what? You're going to stand before God and give an accounting of your life. You can either oppress a human being or serve a human being. But you will be judged. And, and the wicked shall be turned into hell. People say, well, there's not a hell. Yes, there is. There is a hell. There is a hell, there is a heaven, and there will be a judgment. And there should be a dread of hell and a rejoicing of heaven and a realization of judgment. And that is, like I said on Sunday, that has been the North Star, that has been the guiding principle for the church for two millennium. And you remove that, you might as well just pack up the scriptures because nobody spoke more of hell than Jesus. It's a real place. And I'll tell you what, he judges nations too. And they, they, they're not going to get away with squat. But David's watching as these folks are just, just like a, a hot knife through butter. They're just melting before the Lord. I'm looking forward to that day. I was born in a generation where World War II was already over. Uh, the first experience I had was Vietnam, and we had lost that. Uh, first Gulf War was like, oh, and it was over in a handful of days. And then all of a sudden, the, the guy's still in power, and you're wondering what's going on. And, and, and everyone, none of these are declared wars um, and, and they almost seem as though, what's the point? Why, are, why is our nation being involved? I watch this, I watch this take out um, Osama bin Laden, SEAL Team 6, DevGrew, and then shortly thereafter, every, almost every Navy SEAL that was involved in DevGrew is dead as a, a CH-46 is shot down in Afghanistan where the Afghanis got off, the special forces got off the helicopter. They were all supposed to be in there, and some other guys got on. So that just tells me this is an inside job that they capped all our guys. And I look at this and I think, where, where is this nation? Blesses a nation whose God is the Lord. Well, I don't think he is anymore. And we, we've got struggles. And so here, this is, this is a praising, and I'm looking forward to that day in my lifetime. So now let's transition from 9 and go into 10. Don't know who the author of 10 is, but this is a song of confidence in God's triumph over evil. And the psalmist begins by saying, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Do you see the contrast between between Psalm 9 and Psalm 10? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy, renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all of his enemies, he sneers at them, speaking of what the, the, the uh, wicked are doing. The wicked, he has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. The wicked uh, with his mouth, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression, and under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. The wicked, he sits in the lurking places of the villages, in the secret places, he murders the innocent. <laughs> I mean, we, did, did you see the story of the doctor in Philadelphia? Third trimester babies? Just butchering them. Nobody even puts it on the front page of anything. You don't even know it exists. You want to you talk, talk about something we should be protesting? Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger put it in. You know why? Eugenics. She wanted to get rid of black people. That's why she started it. Eugenics. And the, 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 the main focus of Planned Parenthood is death to, to the inner city. And nobody says a word about that. It's almost like a, 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 a holy grail. 
the right to your body. And that means you're allowed to kill a child. The, the womb should be the safest place on the earth. And you know what? We're oppressed. We're oppressed. We're, we're, we're in fear. Look at our young people. They're scared to death to stand for the things of God. They don't want to stand against homosexuality. They don't want to stand against abortion. They don't want to stand because they just know it's gonna, they, they, the world's going to come down on them. And so you just try to find a way just to dance around it and just get to class and not have anyone look at you. And, and the same thing for our adults at work. Don't do it. And this is a time where you're just scared. And the wicked seem to be flourishing. You know, 5% of the population dominates the media and what we watch. And, and here, this is, this is the wicked. I, mean, I, was over, I was over in Uganda, and, and, and I remember, you know, you drop in at seasons in the life of the church, and there was a guy by the name of Godfrey, and he was working with the youth. And, you know, Craig did his best to observe these guys, and on and on and on. And finally, I was there when Godfrey got ordained. And a few months later, three girls came forward and said, he's molesting us. Well, in Uganda, you get molested, and nobody gives a rip. And for them to come to Pastor Craig meant that trust had been developed like you can't imagine. They, they so admire this man. And they shared this, and Craig said, okay. So he came against Godfrey, removed him from his position. Godfrey got the, the, the state against the church. Uh, they started to persecute the church. They threw out the charges of two of the girls that were awful, and one girl still held. And he was free, you know, to, to roam the streets. Um, and Craig kept pursuing it and the state finally came along and said they will assign an attorney and the prosecuting attorney never showed up for a single time and they would show up week after week the church is fasting they're praying they're watching as this goes on for two years and the state doesn't do anything about it and Godfrey has everyone in on it because they know they're going to get money out of the Mzungu the white man and so they're they're he's bribed everybody with somebody else's money knowing that they're going to be able to turn around in a civil suit and get the money back from the church so Craig's got everything on the line to defend these three girls And finally, as they're fasting and they're just crying out to God, they went from Halloween where it was another miserable case. It was October 31st, and it just was thrown out. And then it comes to Thanksgiving, another month passed. And this one judge, the prosecuting attorney doesn't even show up. And the one judge, it's a woman, she says, you know, I am compelled to rule against this man. And she rules against Godfrey. No reason for it whatsoever. They thought that they were, they were dead in the water. Five years in prison, which is a miracle in and of itself. Every single one of the, the defense attorneys came up and said, I don't know how you did it, Craig, because we were bribed to the top of the hilt. We were paid off like you can't imagine. Everybody was paid off. The officials were paid off. And you still won. How'd you do that? Prayer and supplication. The wicked think that they control and they own, but God has the final say. But you have to stand. Listen, I'm not in charge of the outcome. I'm responsible for being faithful. We're still in the throes of this lawsuit with the school. We may or may not win. It's irrelevant to me. It's what we're supposed to do. And so here, this is the confidence that the psalmist has. He says, I shall not be moved, verse 6. I shall never be in adversity. I'm sorry, this is what the, uh, this is what the wicked says. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing, deceit. He, uh, an impression. Verse 8, he sits in the lurking places of the villages. We covered that. Verse 9, he lies in wait and secretly in the lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches, he, li- he lies low that the helpless may fall by his strength. The wicked, uh, he has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. 
Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. And why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. And I'll tell you why I've renounced God. He's not going to, he doesn't care. You know, one of those scenes in, in the Count of Monte Cristo where he, he, he's, he's, he's hanging there, I think it is. And uh, the, the jailer, after he, he's been put in the prison, he just says, oh God, save me. He says, I'll tell you what. I, you go ahead and you, you call on God and I will beat you until he arrives. And I, I, I think about that. And you, you think this Psalm 10, Lord, where are you? Why do you stand so far off? When Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison, when Martin Niemöller was watching, walking through the darkness of the SS on his way to be executed and was delivered, and he, he began to just praise the Lord, all of a sudden the SS guard behind him says, God has you covered, don't you worry, we're with you. God has the final say. In the might of the Third Reich, God's servants are the ones whose names are still renowned today. But they think they won't give an account. Well, guess what they do? I'll tell you who's bummed, Hitler. Yeah. But you have seen, for you observe troubles and grief to repay it by your hand, and the helpless commits himself to you, and you are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of, his, out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the, to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. The psalmist ends on an up note, and he's just rejoicing. He just says, God, I don't know where you are, but now as I've begun to praise you, what does the Bible say? The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. So he gets to the end of the praise, and he says, God, you got this. You got this. I'll tell you what, when it gets overwhelming, why don't you spend time praising the Lord? Now, let's get to Psalm 11 and tell me if this doesn't, if this doesn't reflect today's issues. This is written by David, and this is such a contrast to Psalm 9. In the Lord... I put my trust, and how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? So the first thing he's saying, his heart is saying, get out of here, just run. <laughs> okay, so stop for a minute. Okay, look, look at me. Look at, is California a tough place to live? Are you a little sick of, you know, being in exile in your own state? Do you want to go to Texas? <laughs> well, just shut it. You've been appointed for such a time as this. If he calls you because there's a revival in Texas and he's calling you to be a part of it, great. But if you don't like being oppressed, just stop it. Fight. Get busy. It got this way because we were lazy. Get, get into it. Your, your heart says, run to the mountains. Go to Texas. And then David says, for look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string. That they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. Do you realize how we're being attacked here in California? Do you understand this? You can't even be a foster parent in California without having to go through the state issues. Verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundations. You want to be a foster parent in California? You're, you're, you, you must promote homosexuality. Our, our own assemblyman, by the way, Jeff Gurrell, voted for that. So thankful. So thankful. 
And that was a real great deal from the Republican Party done behind the doors, you know, so that uh, uh, Audra Strickland would run unopposed. And they said, well, we'll give it to a, a pro-choice, you know, pro-gay marriage Republican in name only, a rhino. And, and now we have him. And I'm just so thankful for the way the Republican Party supports us in that regard. That's a joke, by the way. And, and here he votes for this so that every foster parent, if the child feels as though they have homosexual tendencies, they have to teach them, they're required by state law, even though it's their home and they're working there, that they have to put aside their biblical convictions. So when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? How do we even help, how do we even help the fatherless? The state won't even let us do it with, with the power that God's given us. You do it anyways. You have liberty, exercise it. Stand fast in it. Well, go to jail. Good. Do it. Verse 4, the Lord in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. You're going through a testing process. Don't consider it strange. Jesus says they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. A servant isn't greater than his master. So stand up. Show yourself strong. Make your life count. You know, I, I, I went and I spent, I spent uh, 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 an afternoon uh, celebrating the 90th birthday of a, of a member of our congregation over at the convalescent home, the Royale. And, and I was over there, and, and, and as much as the, the birthday party itself was a blessing to me, and being with her was a blessing, I left there enormously depressed, and it lasted with, with me for quite a bit. Some of the deepest depression I've been through, because what I saw, with the exception of, of the woman I was sitting with, because the significance of her life was testified by her family, and I, and, and, I, I'm so blessed the way they minister to this woman. But every other person in that place doesn't have a visitor. And you die in obscurity. And all I could think about was my, my father in the rest home. He gets a visitor every day, but it's not me. I'm too far away. I get to see him maybe every other month. And what that said to my heart, is that what's going to happen to me? Is that the amount of visitors? I'm, am I going in, to be in, in insignificant in the royal rest home? Which I won't even be able to afford. I'll probably be in some state house. But I thought, you know, Lord, when does the Alzheimer's kick in? As I sat with another brother in the Lord whose father, at 15 years of age beyond where he was, went through the throes of Alzheimer's, and it's, it's hereditary, and I'm, I'm going to get it. So, I'm, you know, maybe, I don't know. And so you go, positive confession, Pastor, don't say that. Okay, whatever. Uh, but, but the idea is, okay, I want my life to count. I want, I want what I do to echo in the halls of heaven. I want to be about it. I, I'm not interested in, in amassing a retirement and driving the country in a Winnebago and eating at buffets. I don't care about cruise lines, and I don't care, I'm done with that. There's work to be done. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, there's work to be done. And I don't see retirement in the Bible. And, and you're, you're looking at, well, I just I want to get my just out, and then if I can just get out and get my pension, I'm good. Well, that's what's, all, that's what's brought us to this spot. Everybody fights. And, and so when he's saying, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then he, he goes on to see the picture of the Lord, and his heart is lifted. And that's what happened to me. He said, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. We're going to go through testing. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. 
For the Lord is righteous and he loves the righteous. His countenance beholds the upright. I will say this. When the scripture says the Lord tests the righteous but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. One of the ways he tests us is to see if we're drawn more to the wicked than we are to the Lord. And I have to tell you sin is an easy escape. Remember we covered on Sunday that our our default destination is not going to be heaven. Our default destination is hell. And, and we'll, know, we're, we'll know we're right with the Lord. And you finish reading 1 John and you get into to 2 and 3 and, and the idea of how you can test to see that you're of him. And when I started to read that, I started to realize there's this idea of forsaking unrighteousness and embracing righteousness. And isn't that what it's all about? It, 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 it's real simple. Is it about you or is it about others? It, it has to be about others. That's the church. Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Love others as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, and to lay down his life for a friend. That is the picture of the church. You remove that, and we think it's a place where we come and make business contacts and have inspirational messages blown our way. And you can walk away because you don't like the way it works or you don't like the conviction that it brings, but as you walk out, you become what I consider part of the Antichrist movement. Where, where you turn and you bash his bride because you just don't like the way it operates. I'm not talking about walking away from a cult or walking away from an abusive church, but I'm talking about this idea that you just don't want to engage, and so you're going to blame the church for your issues in life. I, I got news for you. When you walked in, the church increased in its problems, and when you leave, the church is blessed that you're gone. And that, that, that applies for everyone in this room. But when you come in and you say, I'm just like everybody else, and I want to serve one another, all of a sudden, Christ is manifested. When it's not about you and it's about others, then all of a sudden, the church becomes healthy. And God does an amazing, amazing work. And the way that you get off, when you, you, you get off the idea of, what do I do now that the foundations have been destroyed? Look at, the, look at California. Get your eyes off the problems. And this is why I love this whole thing of being in Uganda. It was a privilege. I didn't have to sit through the misery of the news. Turn off the television. And, and open up your Bible and praise the Lord and watch as your heart is lifted. I'm serious. Quit being so depressed. Have faith in the Lord's righteousness. Watch him lift your countenance. And then we'll close real quick in these 15 minutes with Psalm 12. Another Psalm of David. Eight-string harp. Woo! This idea, the title is Man's Treachery and God's Constancy. And I kept thinking about the trial itself again. And, and even the trial we're in as a, as a church and as a school. Psalm 12, verse 1. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. And I, I look around and I'm watching as there is a rapid decline in those who declare Christ to be their Savior in the United States of America. We're, we're in what they would call a postmodern culture. You watch as Europe, which was a hotbed of Christianity, it's just dissipated. You watch in the turn of the, of the 18th century to the 19th century, in 1902, 97% of England uh, went to church on a Sunday. In 2002, less than you know, 10% of England goes to church on a Sunday. Somebody declared that I think there's more mosques in England than there are churches active. And that's, that's the idea where, where you look and you say, and they were the hotbed, the Victorian era was the hotbed of evangelism around the world. Charles Spurgeon, I mean, you just, they, they, would, they would print his sermons in the major newspapers, London Times, 
every Sunday. And, and they asked me to do an article for the acorn, and it was too religious, so they pulled it out. But they got this spiritualist healer every bit. Awful. I wanted to say crap, but that's not a word you should use from the pulpit. <laughs> and so I'm not going to use it. And, and you know, because I want to be cautious of that. So thank you for understanding that this is my heart's desire. I want to walk before the Lord in that regard. The godly man ceases and the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. And then it says they speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and double heart they speak. I, I watch that in the church. You know, you, you, you say something and you, this is what I want. For the, and I really come to serve and I want to and I want to and I want to. And then five months down the road when it gets a little hard or you're called on your stuff, you walk away. And that's the double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off flattering lips and the tongue that speaks of proud things. Who have said with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? We don't need the church to tell us what to do. Well, who does? The authority is... And the idea of the church is accountability to one another. I would ask you this. How many friends do you have in the church itself that speak into your life and you speak into theirs? That's the church, by the way. Church isn't sitting in a seat with an open Bible. Church is investing in the lives of others. How many folks do you have in your life like that? And, and calling you on your stuff. And that's the beauty of it. But then you'd say, well, I don't need that. Who's Lord over us? Because we all got it. Verse 5, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord, and I will set him in safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord, Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall persevere them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side, and when vile, uh, vileness is exalted among the sons of men. And, and the idea is... Uh, God's got us. Even in the midst of the vileness we're surrounded by. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how rare a fellowship like this is. That a pastor can, can hold to the truths of the scriptures declare them with conviction and the congregation embraces him and supports him. You, that, you have no idea. Most pastors operate in a context of fear. Um, I remember, I know Pastor Dave got this from somewhere, but I, I've, I've used it often. What you win somebody with is what you win them to. When you win them with conviction to the things that you appreciate, and granted, we've gone through seasons where people have walked out, and I've met more people who used to go to this church than go to this church. But that's okay. And I, I, I praise them and encourage them where they are. And I, and I don't mince words. I, 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 didn't, I didn't bring you here, and I'm not telling you to leave. God's in charge of that. The Lord had added to their numbers daily those who are being saved. But I will say this. When Sunday, when we have the congregational meeting, you're going to be blown away by, by the way the Lord's provided for us in, in, the, in the years we've been in this church. You'll be blown away. Worst economic downturn in the history of our lifetime. And you're going to be blown away to see what God's done. 
And, and I, I look at this and I think, God's words are pure. And God keeps us. He keeps us even in the midst of the wicked. This is, this is a fundamentalist, evangelical, right-wing, pro-life, pro-marriage church in the middle of, of the hotbed of the antithesis of that. And look around. An oasis in the midst of a desert. But he's not giving us an oasis so we can sit here under the palm tree. You get a drink of water and you get your butt back out there. Amen? Uh, the, the picture I have, I'll close with this tonight. The picture God gave me of my role is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the captain of an aircraft carrier. And you're all fighter pilots. And you land on the deck of the aircraft carrier. I'll refuel you. I'll patch you up. And I'm sending you back out. And you're not staying on the aircraft carrier. There's too many planes on the deck. Get off and get into combat. And that's, that's the role. And I tell you, there are times I hate my job. I want to be in one of those fighter jets. I want to be in the thick of the fight. I'm sick of the responsibilities and making sure everybody has a meal and making sure that everybody's doing their part and the ship's on the course and we got the port of call and, every, and then we got to deal with the disciplinary issues and, and got to have captain's masks and whatever. It's just, I'm sick of it. I want to get in a fire. <laughs> But I remain in the seat of command. Watch you fly in and get all the medals. And I know my calling and I'm good with it. But I don't want anybody AWOL. This is war. We've been called to push back the gates of hell. You you can land on the deck, but get ready to take off again. Grab a bite to eat and get back out there. Any questions tonight before we close in prayer? Not comments, questions. Okay, question, Rob. Yeah, um, so was that Lincoln that you were referring to, that one president? Yeah, yeah, Lincoln. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Thank you. I have a question. Um, pastor made a comment that I said, if the world, if America gets any worse, God's going to have to apologize for Sodom to, and Gomorrah. Yeah, apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I've heard that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So yes, he's the same God of the Old Testament as of the New Testament. However, there's dispensations, and this is a dispensation of his grace. And so in this time, the Bible says that, that he is patient and long-suffering, wanting that none would perish, but that all would be saved. He's waiting for folks to come to Christ. Now that I'm in, and I got my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I'm all ready for him to press a button and call judgment. But thank God I'm not God, because I am selfish. And, and he calls us to go out and, and save the lost. We don't do the salvation. He does, but we go out to reach the lost. And, and the way you do that, the preservation of man, that the gospel would be maintained, is that governments need to be established that promote the dispensation of truth, not the oppression of it. Our role civically is just as important as it is biblically because they both go hand in hand. And so we have that calling. So yes, in one sense, there is government judgment, which he did on Sodom and Gomorrah. But in another regard, he holds it to the church. So, yep. 
Well, I would just say this to you that you're, you, you, you are senior to me and if you want to do that, I will yield the floor. Well, thank you, Herman. Are you going to jump on the comment line, or? Praise the Lord. My pleasure. Uh, Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. He's wonderful, isn't he? The third person of the Trinity, or second person of the Trinity, where we look at Father, Son, Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. He's amazing. He's not a power, an entity, or a force. He's a he. Amen? Yes. Yeah, me too. Amen. And I pray God about it, but I, I'm just not sure what I need to do. Amen. To be helpful to the church here and to take point into the yeah. world. Here's, here's what I would say. I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I get scared. And I, I can talk about, you know, Psalm 9, Psalm 11, and this, the psychotic nature of where we are at one point, where we are at the second point, right? We all go through that. We all have times of fear. We all have times of faith. Okay? Um. <laughs> And, 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 and our, our highs get lower and our lows get higher. And he balances out our Christian walk. And I would say this to you. People come to me and say, Pastor, what can I do? Don't come to me and ask me that. I don't have an answer. You do the same thing I'm doing. Lord, what do you want me to do? And over time, he started to define it to me. And I'll share on Sunday the idea of the bean patch in Jeremiah 29. And this is a picture God's given me. Ask him where you fit in the, in, in the picture of all things. He'll show you. He'll show you, and, and, uh, and he'll equip you, too. 
Um, I, I would like to be able to say, this is the game plan, and everybody's going to fit right in, and I see these giftings, and we've taken a survey, and we've done the testing, and you are high in this gifting, and you stink at this one, and, and <laughs> we're going to plug you in, and we're going to go places. Well, that's all flesh, and we're going nowhere. And let's ask the Lord where he wants us to be, and watch what he does. Amen. I think that's about it. Oh, you get the last word. Zuma Beach Tower 14. Yeah, just look for the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Actually, did you see those banners that are uh, floating out, the new banners? We'll have those on the beach if it's not too windy. Tower 14. And we got a boatload of people getting baptized. It is going to be so cool. So come out for it. All right. Well, good. Denny, come on up and close us in prayer. Pastor Denny. Doesn't he look tired? Uh. Lord, bless him. I pray encouragement upon Denny in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, now pray us out. Father, what a joy it is to be in your presence. And Lord, every time we hear your word, we're so touched in the spirit. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that words of encouragement, words of truth are preached by our pastor, Lord. We pray that you would continue to strengthen him, Lord that he would have a boldness, that you would speak to him about the season that we're in as people, Lord, that we would find comfort in your words as they're brought to us by him. Lord, now as we go back out, we go back to our homes and to our communities, Lord, be with us, be with our families. Lord, continue to draw us near to you as we wait for a time that we can come together again and enjoy your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.